You will notice that we have several visitors tonight, several guests from Calvary Presbytery here for the, the ordination of our brother Mark Kuo, and we're thankful for that. You'll get to meet many of them a little bit later. Some of you are looking at the bulletin right now, and you're doing so with a lot of trepidation because you're saying, I'm going to be here till 9.45 tonight. Will not, because I will be preaching much shorter. And, of course, Pastor Dodds and Pastor Piper will not be preaching full sermons. Will they, Dan? (laughs) We'll be examining a text from Ezekiel's prophecy. A few reminders about Ezekiel. I hope you have your Bible open to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel was of priestly descent, we're told in the first chapter of Ezekiel, and he was a prophet. He was deported to Babylon around 600 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah's. Jeremiah was preaching the impending fall of Jerusalem from Jerusalem. Ezekiel was predicting it from Babylon. Ezekiel was a a contemporary of Daniel's. But Daniel was of a different class. Daniel was prophesying at the court. Ezekiel was among the exiles. He was the people's prophet, sort of a blue-class working preacher. As we prepare to look at this powerful text that describes what it is we're ordaining Mark 2 tonight, the office of shepherd. Let's seek the help of the Lord now. Let's pray. O sovereign Lord, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds now that as the scriptures have been read and your word is explained, that we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Again, I hope you have your Bible open to Ezekiel 34. We'll be consulting it. This passage seems to be all about sheep and shepherds, of course, using figurative language. And so let me give a few definitions. The, the term, first of all, that I'd want us to see is that term, sheep. You'll notice in our text, uh, especially in the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34, that sheep and the flock are terms used repeatedly, and these are terms used in both Testaments, Old and New, to describe the people of God, the sheep, the flock of God. Here you will notice in Ezekiel 34, verse 6, they are called my sheep. And if you look at verse 2, 3, 6, 8, 10, they are called my flock. But we need to give some characteristics to these sheep so that Everyone here understands what's in the minds of Ezekiel's initial readers and hearers. When you think of sheep, I'm afraid that most of us, because we live inside the the county of Greenville, I've been to many of your homes and I haven't seen sheep grazing on the front yard, and so I I think you may need a tiny bit of education. I spent every July of my life until I was a teenager at my grandfather's farm, and my grandfather not only raised cattle and horses and pigs, but he raised sheep. And I remember when I saw and and meditated upon that that first, second commandment breaking picture of that Aryan surfer Jesus, you know, the one with blonde hair and blue eyes, and him carrying a, a lamb over his shoulders. And I remember thinking, I've never seen a sheep like that before. Because having spent summers at my grandfather's farm, the sheep were filthy. They were rank. But that sheep in that picture is white and fluffy. I'm thinking, I've, I've never known that sheep before. That must be a different kind of sheep. But a few things that you do need to know about sheep, and when, I, when Ezekiel is, is speaking about sheep, 
Every one of his hearers has this in mind. He's using it as a figure of speech. A few things you should know about sheep in that day. The first thing is sheep were and are helpless and defenseless. This is why Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, as a, as a lamb led to the slaughter and a sheep before its shears is silent. Unlike other animals that have some sort of defense mechanisms, a sharp claws, razor-like teeth, foot speed, a tough hide, a fierce growl, sheep are slow, they have spindly legs, tiny hooves, and a pathetic bleat. And so they're, they're helpless. And so keep that in mind as Ezekiel is talking about the sheep. The second thing that you need to know about sheep, they are senseless strayers. This is why Isaiah could write in Isaiah 53, 6, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. You've all read of dogs or cats who find their way home from hundreds of miles away. No such stories exist about sheep. They will keep wandering indefinitely. In fact, they will wander off the edge of a cliff. They don't even know they're lost and in danger. They're too senseless to think of returning to a safe place. They'll keep on going in the same direction unless they're turned. They're senseless strayers. And every one of Ezekiel's readers knows this. And the third thing you should know about sheep is they are, and this is an old word, they are shiftless, meaning they're unable to provide for themselves. A camel can sense water from a quarter of a mile away. Vultures can smell food from almost half a mile away. But a sheep can find nothing on his own. Someone has to take him to green pastures. Sheep, therefore, are totally dependent upon their shepherd. Totally dependent. They need someone to protect them, to guide them, and to take them to food. Well, the second characteristic or the second type and figure we're introduced to in Ezekiel 34 is that of the shepherd. And you'll notice quickly that, oh, this is all about these two, the interaction of these two players, the sheep, the people of God, and the shepherds, repeatedly used in Ezekiel 34. So notice we get this sort of coming at us hard and fast in verse 2. Four times the term shepherd is used in an indictment in Ezekiel 34, and then again in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Shepherd was, in the day of Ezekiel, a, a common term for rulers in ancient culture. For example, the psalmist writes in Psalm 78, The Lord chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd his people. So David shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. A shepherd was a ruler, someone who had oversight and care for the sheep. By the way, it's not insignificant that the two dominant rulers of the Old Testament, Moses and David, both received their call to leadership while they were actually tending real sheep. So in our context, in Ezekiel 34, shepherds refer to those who were leaders of God's people, who should have been caring for the flock, but they weren't. So look at the Lord's problem with these shepherds. Look at verse 2 and 3. According to verse 2 and 3, the shepherds of Ezekiel's day are selfish. They look out for themselves and they don't feed the flock. They are exploiters 
fleecing the sheep and fattening themselves at their expense. Their counterpart we still have with us today, the one who always needs more feeding and grows fat but never feeds anyone else, never teaches or counsels or guides. And then there's more that makes them a worthless shepherd. Look at verse 4 in our text. They are stony-hearted. They might have the title, but they don't care for the sheep. They have no pastoral qualities. Look at what's said of them in verse 4. They don't bind up the broken. They don't bring back the scattered. They don't even seek for lost sheep. They don't even have that, that basic concern for the sheep that the good shepherd will talk about later in Luke 15 when he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep? If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, I found the sheep which I have lost. These shepherds don't do any of that. But instead they dominate the sheep with force and severity instead of gentleness. They lorded over the flock. Years ago when we were in Pacific Presbytery, I was pastoring in Las Vegas, and that meant there were 15 churches in Los Angeles and one congregation in Las Vegas. And I had the sad duty, I found out, because I lived in Las Vegas, and they held a, a quick meeting without me, the other 15 churches. And so in my absence, I was appointed to be the moderator of a presbytery trial. This is a lesson for you, Mark. Never miss a presbytery meeting because that sort of thing happens to you if you don't go. But I was appointed to be the moderator of a presbytery trial and told to show up a couple of weeks later on a Saturday in Los Angeles. And when I got the charges in the mail of this elder who was going to be put on trial, the charge had been presented against the elder and it was a single charge. The charge was lording it over the flock. And when we read the, the specifications that went with the charges, this was a man who he insisted that everybody in the church not call him by his given Christian name, Bob. But instead, he demanded that everyone refer to him as elder. He demanded that people stand up when he walked in the room. And he had a long list of these things as soon as he were, was ordained. He was lording it over the flock. And what we find is the shepherds in Ezekiel's day were all guilty of this charge. You see this in verse 2 and 3 and 4. But there's more. Look at verse 5. These worthless shepherds are inept. They're careless. Instead of keeping the flock together in safety, they allow them to be scattered and they become easy prey. What Jesus calls in Matthew's gospel, sheep without a shepherd. There's even more. They don't protect the sheep. By the way, this is job number one of a shepherd, is to protect the sheep. Because remember, sheep are animals of prey. The wolves are always looking to tear them apart. And sheep can't find back, fight back. And so look what happens in verse 5. The sheep under their care become food for all the beasts of the field. In short, these worthless shepherds take the title, the privilege of shepherd. But they do none of the duties of shepherd. They're dead weight. Parasites upon the people of God, not leaders and guardians. And so the Lord pronounces a word of judgment upon them. Look carefully at verses 7 through 10. 
In verse 8, the Lord succinctly states the indictment of offenses. In verse 8, look carefully at this. In verse 8, the Lord gives a lot of becauses. Because my flock has become a prey. Because there was no shepherd. And he goes on stating all the offenses. And what the Lord is saying to these men, the, the, those who are supposed to be caring for the flock of Israel, what the Lord says is, you have blown it. I entrusted my sheep to you, and you botched it. And look what he says in verse 10. Give them back. I want my sheep back. I will require my flock at their hand. The sovereign Lord strips them of their rank. They hear, you're fired from the lips of Jehovah. He demands an accounting at their hands. Look at verse 10. I will require my flock at their hand. And he's outraged with a holy anger. So why is the God of heaven upset and angry? For this one reason. It's stated repeatedly. Because his sheep weren't being cared for. Now what I've treated you to for the last few minutes is what a bad shepherd looks like. It's easy for the first ten verses. But Carl, can you, can you show me a good example? I can do far better than that. I can show you a perfect shepherd. Look at the rest of Ezekiel 34. And this is where we get to focus the spotlight on Christ. Because what we're going to see for the rest of the chapter, very briefly, is a prophecy of Christ the Good Shepherd. And notice in verses, for example, 11 through 16, notice what the Lord says he will do to replace these worthless shepherds. Look at the key word, I. In verse 11, I myself will search for my sheep. Verse 12, I will seek out my sheep. Verse 13, I will bring them out. I will feed them. Verse 14, I will feed them in good pasture. Verse 15, I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down. Verse 16, I will seek what is lost. Now in the Old Testament, God himself often takes the title of shepherd. For example, when the psalmist begins Psalm 80, he says, Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel. Or in Psalm 95, when the psalmist writes, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. But who is this shepherd to be? We find a clue to his identity. The shepherd who is going to come and replace all the worthless shepherds. We get a clue to his identity in verse 23. Stare at this carefully, because here is Christ in all his glory in the midst of this very dark text. In verse 23, the Lord says, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now immediately you think, oh, okay, David here. Well, you need to be reminded of some chronology. When Ezekiel writes these words, he writes them 370 years after the death of David. And you're left scratching your head thinking, well, Ezekiel, you're a little late, a day late and a dollar short about this prophecy concerning David. The reason why he uses this language is he's writing about the son of David, the ideal David, the sinless David, the greater David. We find out in the New Testament that it's specifically the second person of the Trinity, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the shepherd. 
Jesus never gives himself titles like bishop or pontifex maximus, but he does repeatedly call himself, for example, in texts like John 10, a shepherd. Does that give you any idea of where his priorities lie? Everything the worthless shepherds of Ezekiel 34 aren't, he is. Let me just point out three points of comparison between the worthless shepherds and the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told of the worthless shepherds in the early part of Ezekiel 34 that they're selfish, they look out for themselves, and they don't feed the flock. But of Jesus, we are told, is the good shepherd in John 10 verse 9, that his sheep, that they will go in and out and find pasture, they'll be fed by him. A second point of comparison between the worthless shepherds and Christ, the good shepherd, in Ezekiel 34, we're told of the worthless shepherds, they're stony-hearted. They don't care a thing about the sheep. But listen to what we're told about the good shepherd when we come to John 10. Jesus says, I know my sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The ultimate demonstration of our Lord's care for the sheep is seen in the words in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. He gives constant care, unlike hirelings. The worthless shepherds, when the sheep are broken, he doesn't bind them up. When they're sick, he doesn't heal them. By contrast, we are told in Ezekiel thirty-four sixteen, the good shepherd, when he comes, will bind up the broken and heal the sick. And what do we find him doing when he actually comes in the flesh, the good shepherd? Listen to these words from Matthew's gospel. Great multitudes came to Jesus, having with them the lame, the blind, the maimed, and many others, they laid them at Jesus' feet, and he healed every one of them. That's the good shepherd. A third point of comparison between worthless shepherds and the good shepherd, the worthless shepherds are inept. They're careless. They allow the sheep to be scattered. But in John chapter 10, Jesus, talking about himself as the good shepherd, says he guards every last sheep, and he won't lose one of them. One of the clearest pictures of Jesus, the perfect shepherd in action, is seen in Mark's gospel. Look there with me for just a moment in Mark chapter 6. Mark's gospel. And the context in Mark's gospel in Mark 6 is he has just received the news that his forerunner, his cousin and friend, John the Baptist, has been executed. You know how you would feel. You'd be brokenhearted. There would be a, a deep heaviness upon you. And Jesus is fully human as well as fully God. And so he feels that. And Jesus even says in Mark 6 verse 31, he says, let's take a break for a while. The way he says it is come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. And he tries to get away from the crowds that are omnipresent that are following him. And he tries to cross the Sea of Galilee, but these huge crowds follow and won't leave Jesus alone. Now remember, His heart is heavy. He's physically exhausted. He would have been justified in turning and saying to the hordes, Would you people just respect my boundaries for a few days? I need to grieve in private. My my dearest friend, my forerunner, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. After all, enough is enough. But he didn't send them away. He crosses the Galilee, and when he emerges from the boat on the other side, look what we're told in Mark 6.34. 
he felt compassion for them. Now this is the Jesus who, a real human being, he's grieving, he's mourning the loss of his, his family member and the, the radical injustice that was done to John the Baptist. But where are his feelings? Where are his thoughts? Look at Mark 6.34. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? He does what a shepherd always does. He fed them. If you look at verse 34, he fed them spiritually. He teaches them. And then in verses 36 through 44, he fed them physically by multiplying fish and bread. And what you see here are all the perfect qualities of the good shepherd in action. Instead of being selfish and not feeding the flock, he nourishes them. Instead of being uncaring, he feels compassion and does something. Instead of allowing them to be scattered like his disciples who say in verse 36 of Mark 6, Oh, send them away. He gathers them in an orderly fashion and keeps them and feeds them. I want to make a few applications from this brief text. And I want to speak to the elders who are gathered here. There are all kinds of elders in a moment. By the way, this is the largest ordination commission I've ever seen. Scotty said before the service, he said, I think I had two guys on my ordination commission. I think it was just Carl and Dan, and they were sort of embarrassed. But (laughs) what you're going to see in a moment when we call for all the elders to come and lay hands on Mark, it'll be like half of you people. It's an astounding gathering, which simply shows how excited these men are to be having a part in sending Mark back to Taiwan, what what confidence they're placing in him. And so I want to apply this and speak to the elders, but Mark, especially to you tonight. Mark, you cannot, as you go back to Taiwan and you begin to gather a flock, you cannot have an attitude of independence from the flock. You must realize that your calling is sheep-oriented for the next 40 years. The Good Shepherd hasn't called you to some abstract work called shepherding, but to the actual earthly task of working with wandering, wounded, sick, smelly sheep. Shepherding means getting yourself involved with them. There is no detachment allowed. Your place is always with the sheep. Whenever we see model shepherds, they're with the flock. Think of those shepherds who received the first announcement of the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2. What do we hear about them? They were in the same country, shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Of course they were, because that's what good shepherds, where you always find them with their sheep. Jesus describes it in John 10. He describes himself as being in the midst of the sheep. He says the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he brings out his sheep, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The good shepherd is always in the midst of his sheep. Mark, this is your calling, to be found with the sheep. Mark, a second application. If you are to be imitative of the good shepherd, you will feed the flock. You'll regularly, week by week, give the sheep solid, nourishing food. Evaluate your ministry regularly by this picture. Are the sheep fed? Do they have reason to complain that they're starving? To ensure that the flock is fed means that you will labor in the text of Scripture. Sunday morning, Sunday night, week by week, making clear the meaning and application of the text to even the slowest of sheep. And if you're going to be imitative of the good shepherd and not a worthless shepherd, 
you will pursue the straying sheep. Remember, sheep like to wander. It is your task to pursue. This will mean picking up the phone, calling, going by their home, shepherding them on their turf. And you will especially protect the flock from wolves. One of the things we've learned a tiny bit, we have much to learn here, but we've learned a tiny bit over the last 20 years, is to protect the flock from wolves. We've had wolves in our midst. And whether it's theological heresy or cultural weirdness or psychobabble or goofy fads or trends, you know, you know what Acts 20 teaches when Paul says, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also from among yourselves. Men who are wolves will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Mark another application. Never forget that you are not the chief shepherd. You're an under-shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, the passage that Pastor Dodds read a moment ago, the Apostle Peter reminds elders... When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory from him. It's important to be reminded that you're not the chief shepherd, but Jesus is the one shepherd who's spoken of in Ezekiel 34, 23. Why is it important to be reminded of this? Well, first, so you'll not lord it over the flock. And so that you'll remember there is someone to whom you will give an account to for your shepherding. And so that you'll remember the sheep are not yours, but they're his, and you're but a steward of them. And finally, Mark, and to each elder, if you're to imitate the good shepherd and be conformed to his image, you will give special care to the most helpless of the sheep, the lambs. You have sort of your own little miniature flock of lambs sitting on the pew right beside you, most of them American-born. And so, Mark, you have a special mandate to love and care for the covenant children of the flock. Didn't Jesus command Peter in John 21 Tend my lambs. Aren't we told of Jesus prophetically in Isaiah 40? Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and gently carry them in his bosoms. He will gently lead them. Mark, your task, make no mistake about it, for the next 40 years is to shepherd the flock of God. Let's pray together. O sovereign Lord, giver of all good gifts, We thank you that you have given the gift of ministers to your church. But now, O Lord, out of your overflowing stores of grace, we ask that you might give even more. We ask especially for our dear brother Mark, that you would bless him with the gift of childlikeness, that he might be holy and harmless, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, marked by a simple faith in your word. Give him skill that he might be adept in handling the word aright, skillful in dealing with the deepest problems of the sheep. Lord, give him courage as he goes to a part of the world that is already in turmoil. Give him courage that he might not fear men, even if those men are from mighty nations, but he would fear the Lord only. Give him perseverance that he may be ever militant, fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Give him humility that he might go lower and lower, just as our Lord did. Give him wisdom that doesn't focus on the trivial or the peripheral, but stays focused on the glory of Christ in the church. Give him a diligence in study, a love for searching the scriptures. Enable him to deeply cherish the word and receive it as your holy truth. And give him a delight in holiness, 
a deeper reverence for holy things, your word, prayer, the Lord's Day, the sacraments, and corporate worship. All this we pray in the name of the Good Shepherd, even Jesus our Lord. Amen.